You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come, join our community, or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes Away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Familiar words, right? Familiar words. And he starts this teaching with talking about those who hear. He brings up this idea of hearing. Now, this word here is used throughout the rest of the chapter. And anytime it's brought up, it's used to talk about some sort of an application. If you're hearing, it means you're applying the words that Jesus is saying. It reminds me of when I'm standing with my kids, we're like about to go somewhere or do something. You know, parents, what I'm talking about, you give them the rundown of the rules and the expectations. And oftentimes you end that by saying, do you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying? It's like, well, yes, they hear you. They audibly heard the words that were given to them, right? That's not what you're asking in that moment. When you say, do you hear me? You're like, are you ready to apply this? Are you ready to do this? I'm not just saying it for the benefit of saying it. I'm doing it with the expectation that you do it. Some there listening to Jesus' teaching, they're not looking to apply it. Think about the Pharisees from last week, right? They're just looking to question. Think about the people who are just there just to see a miracle, just to see something amazing happen. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm about to say something. The idea of me saying this is so that you would apply it. I think to hear, for us in a series on following here, to hear is to separate out those who are ready to follow from those who are just listening, attending, observing, and watching 
hear his words, hear his expectations and his teaching and apply it. And what he says, but I say to you, those who hear, apply this, he says, love your enemies. Enemies. Not really a word that we use too often here, unless if it's super dramatic, right? If we talk about enemies, you might, you might first think about a movie. I don't know why this week, as I was getting ready for this, my first thought of an enemy was Jafar. Ugh. That guy, three movies, as far as I know, of him just being the worst, right? Like, was it more or less? I don't know. How many, how many of those movies did they push out? I don't know. But Jafar, man, villain, enemy. I, I kept thinking about him. We have sometimes dramatic ideas of what we mean when we say enemy. And so I think that that could make it easy for us not to apply this passage because we're like, oh, enemy. I don't have an enemy. I don't have Jafar in my life. Or maybe you just apply it to like one or two really exaggerated, like terrible people in your life. Dive into the word enemy with me for a second and see if it starts to hit a little bit closer to home and a little bit more common than that. Enemy would be someone that you're in opposition to. Romans 5, 10 picks up on this and uses this word enemy. It calls us enemies with God. Opposition to God, a holy God. We're in opposition because of our sin, our unrighteousness, puts us in opposition that God reconciles us to himself. To be enemy is to be in a place of conflict, of some matter, (coughs) a place of being totally opposite, different values, different purpose, different perspective. An enemy We don't call very many people in our day an enemy, but when you look at opposition, you could certainly see that you have enemies in your day. People that stand in opposition to us or we stand in opposition of them. Sometimes we can see opposition within political parties or people that hold to different political opinions. Family members who have said things that have offended us over the years that we feel opposed to, people who have wronged us over the years, people who have opposed us or the ones that we love. We have, as a church family, we walk through life together. Maybe there's people that represent different things, different perspective, different ideas, opposed. Here's what I want to say. We all have enemy because we all have someone that stands for something that we oppose or someone who's done something that we oppose. So what do we do with that opposition? From a worldly perspective, it's pretty clear most of the time what we do. We argue. We ignore. We neglect. We cast away. We fight. We speak ill about them. We get really excited when we have some sort of witty comments that we can post back, write back in the comments about all sorts of ways that we want to handle those who are opposed to us or that we see the world handle those who are opposed to them. But hear me on this. Not the one who's following. Not the one who's following. Not the one who hears the words of Jesus and applies them. 
They have a different application of what they do with enemy, with those who are opposed. The one who's left everything and followed Jesus has a different response. And it says it right there. It says love. Love. Agape love there. Love is sincere appreciation or high regard. It's these sorts of actions that are to be directed towards those that we are opposed to. Sincere appreciation. Doesn't that just go against everything that we feel in our heart to those that we're opposed to? Right? Because when we're opposed to us, everything in us either wants to lash out at them or give all the reasons to validate to ourselves of why they're wrong and we're right. Or while they're on the wrong path that we're opposed to and why we're over here. Nothing in us wants to show any sort of sincere appreciation or high regard. We want justice. We want everyone to know that we're right and that they're wrong. To have appreciation might mean looking at the person for more than just the narrow way that you feel in opposition to them. To sincerely appreciate someone must go beyond anything that that person has done and start to move towards the area of how God views them. Love that person. Love that person who is opposed to you. Here's the thing. We say love, and that word is complicated. Let me demonstrate. This week, I told Sarah that I love her because I do. I love her a lot, yeah, thank you. And I also said this week that I love Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia ice cream. Same word. Love them both. It's a little bit different though, right? Just to use that word love, there's, there's clearly a difference between Sarah the delightful ice cream. I don't even see Sarah. It's probably a good thing I don't see her right now. She's hiding back there. I think that there's a disconnect in the same way with our idea of love and the idea of love that Jesus is getting to in this passage. I think our idea of love is often cheaper and shallower and short-sighted and narrow-minded than the love that God has when he speaks to his followers about how they're to treat those that they're in opposition to. And the, the, the greatest example of that is the love that he gave us. There was a sincere appreciation and love for us, enough to have a relationship with us and to reconcile us to himself, even in the midst of us being rebels against his cause. We can learn something about love from the way that Jesus did it. And wouldn't that be what following Jesus would involve for us to be disciples of him to do it the way that he called us to do it? Who bothers you? Who do you avoid? Who doesn't deserve your time, <clears throat> your love, or your sincere appreciation? To love your enemies, to hear that call and follow will mean going against the very core of your feelings and natural response. They stand at opposites. 
the one that you're opposed to, the one is the same one that you're supposed to have sincere love for. Now, we're going to see this as the passage goes, but this is not something that you can just muster up and just do and strengthen yourself to just be able to power along and just, you know, mind matters, strength. Okay, I'm going to just, it's not a fake love that you're offering out to these people. To follow and leave everything and to hear this command will mean a new kind of love. It's a miracle love from Jesus. Not one that cleanses the leper or causes the paralytic to walk. But this miracle is of the heart to open us up to the kind of love that he calls us to. So Jesus goes on. Love your enemies. And then he says, the end of verse 27, do good to those who hate you. Do good This word good, also complicated in the English language, right? We have one word for good. Someone asks you how your day, and you could say it was good. And that could mean that it was pleasant. Or it could mean, eh, it was fine, I guess. Or it could mean good, stop asking me questions about my day. But the Greek word good here in the passage is very precise and actually super rare. It's the only time that this word good is used in the book of Luke. And it's the only other time that we see it used is in Matthew. And what it specifically means is correct. To do what is right and do what is correct. That's what he's saying to do to those who hate you. Do what is right and correct, those who are opposed to you. Now, if we were to take this, what's right and correct, according to our own ideas, that's not going to be very good. Because our impulse and our ideas of good will have a very wide range of how we actually respond to this person. But all of it, the good that he's calling us to do, the right and the correct is measured by the metric of what Jesus says is right and good. Listen, we can't compare ourselves in this. We can't be like, well, I love that person better than that person does. You know, that person, like at least I'm doing better than them. The standard is not looking out at the person across the aisle and being like, well, at least I'm better than them. When Jesus says does, do good to them, do what's correct and do what's right, the standard is Jesus. That's the call. We get another description of who this enemy is. It's those who hate you to hate is a strong dislike with the implication of hostility. (coughs) In other words, they're not sincerely appreciating you. Those you're opposed to, they might hate you. They might be hostile towards you. And none of that changes what is good, what is correct, what is right, what is love, according to who Jesus calls his followers to be. Hate. Hear me on this. The world uses this word. The world uses the word love. And they attribute all sorts of their definitions of what hate is. You've heard Hate has no home here and and, and love and all sorts of things with that. Hear me on this. A lot of times we can be so quick to just attack maybe their definitions of what they would say hate is. But hear me on this. We have the opportunity to show them what love is. 
And what love is, is meeting that person and sincerely appreciating that person that is hating and opposing us. That's the response. It says, do good to those people. So, those who are politically hostile that you feel different thoughts or views or whatever, do good. Religiously hostile, do good to them. Professionally hostile, do good to them. Family hostility, do good, correct, right to them. And we have all sorts of ideas but what, of what good is. Sometimes people can slam people with the truth and say, well, it's for their own good. But hear me on this. We should not be looking to be hurtful or unwise in that. The end of the passage will show us that very clearly. Our idea of good that we should give to those who hate us is oftentimes just as good as our English definition of good. Our idea of the good that we're to give those who hate us is just about as good as our English definition of good. We can raise the bar and raise the standard of what it looks like to do correct and good. And thankfully, Jesus gives us an example of that with his life, but in his teaching here. And he gets very specific. Look at verse 28 and see if this starts to feel a little bit like a disconnect, like I know it did for me in my week looking at this. Verse 28, it says, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Bless those. What what does he mean, bless those? To bless those would be to ask God who is all-powerful and all-sovereign and eternal and and, and able to, to do good in anyone's life abundantly more than we could ask or think or imagine. What he's saying is go to God on behalf of these people, asking God to bestow divine favor on these people who are opposed to you and that you're in opposition with. Go to God, the one who could do all things good in their life, and ask him to bring good into their life. And I don't know if I want God to, like, give them the good. Can I ask God to give me the good? (laughs) What about, like, wanting justice in my life? What about wanting to make sure people see me, God sees me, where I'm at? Do you see this? The shift is one way that we're doing good and loving these people is going to God and saying, God, would you just bless them? And not in a self-righteous way. (laughs) Oh, these poor people, God, would you? No, not like that. Sincerely appreciating and loving them and saying, God, would you bestow favor on them? We do good by going to our Father and praying for these people that he would do good in their life. (coughs) How often do we actually pray that? Or is it God, just show them how wrong they are. God, punish them. God, rain down your justice. I wonder how different it would be if we prayed for people that we had issues with and our prayers were ones of asking for God's favor and blessing. If we cannot pray that, we don't 
actually want good for them, which means, worst of all, we don't actually love that person. Do you see how that's connected? If you can't pray that, you don't want good for them. Would you go to God on their behalf and pray for their well-being, for their spiritual good in a humble way? Would you bring their name before God who can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine? We struggle with this. I think because we're not sure that we actually want good for that person. Here's the thing. What Jesus is saying to do is so unnatural. It goes against everything that we feel inside of us about the opposition that we see and that we feel. I mean, he says those who abuse you is evil. And yet there's a response that is so other to anything else we could do to be praying for them, which is just so symbolic and signifying the fact that we're following someone who is not what the world would follow. We cannot love the way that Jesus calls his followers to love without his help. I think when we pray, one of the most important things that happens is that God changes our heart. If someone right now feels off limits to pray for, or it feels like nails on a chalkboard to pray for their own good, that's exactly the person that Jesus is talking about. And you can watch the miracle that Jesus, who is alive today, and what he'll do in your heart today, in this week, in this month, as you pray it, as you start to pray those things, and he does the miracle in your heart of seeing that person in a different light. Starting to see them the way that God sees them, and appreciating them sincerely with love in your heart in a way that only God could have done. Like he did in Romans 5. For enemies of him, he reconciled. I also said at the beginning of this series, dialogue was super important. Do you guys remember? There's one other thing I said was really important. Anyone remember? The verbs, the action verbs of, of, of the passage. Just check out the verbs that we've seen so far in this passage. Love, do good, bless, and pray. If you're taking notes, you could just give yourself those words. It's good tracks to run on this week. But how do we do this? How do we hear this? How do we actually apply this? He says in the beginning, those who hear this, we have to actually apply this. He starts to get specific here. He talks about four examples in the text that start to really give us a picture of how other and how different this is from anything else. He says, hey, if there's someone who strikes you on the cheek, offer, offer the other one up. Man, you ever been slapped before? It's like so insulting. And there's some sort of like rage that you feel with that. You know, probably that and getting spit in the face. Like, those two things. Like, it's just, you get hit on the cheek, it's like, turn the other one. Why? It says, if someone takes your cloak, don't withhold your tunic. Meaning, give him more than he came and he stole from you. <laughs> give to everyone who begs from you. It might not seem like they deserve it. They might be getting in your way in that moment, but give to them. It says, and if there's someone who takes your goods, 
Do not demand them back. Four examples here. In every single one of those examples, you could look at and you'd be like, man, I think I might have a different response. Every single one of those examples, you could see there's opposition there, right? There's someone standing in the way. There's someone opposing who you are, what you're about. Hear me on this. Jesus is not teaching for his followers to be pushovers. This is not a lesson in just letting people walk all over you. What he's pointing people to is moving away from the most natural response that you would want to vindicate yourself and someone who's opposed to you to be actually looking out for their good. That's what he's getting at. It's what he's already taught. As someone does bad to you to be thinking about their good in the midst of it. Someone slaps you, the natural impulse is probably to lay hands on them. Someone who takes your cloak, the natural impulse, you know, is probably not to chase them down and be like, hey, you forgot my tunic. Someone begs for money, the natural impulse is usually not to reach deep within your pockets. Someone who steals from you, you're usually not letting them know the things that they missed. A response to evil, to enemies, to the opposed is so opposite from a natural impulse or reaction. Our idea of good is defined by doing the opposite. The idea of those four things is not for you to be a pushover. The idea is for our mindset to be thinking about their good in the midst of them opposed to us. And that is demonstrated in verse 31. Check it out. It says, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. That's that love coming out. That's that sincere appreciation as you're looking at them and you're saying, man, I know that you're opposed to me. I know you hate me. I know that you're doing all these things against me, but I'm not looking to retaliate. I'm actually looking out for your good. That's a miracle that only God can bring. If your definition of love does not involve a response that is a work of God in your heart, a supernatural response, there's a good chance that you need to hear this and apply this teaching because any of our response back to those who hate us, those who are opposed to us, must be supernatural to be those who are following Jesus the way that he's calling us to respond for the good of those who are opposed to us. This is not just a strength in yourself in your own way of doing it. Or, yeah, I'm kind of a nice person. I think I can pull this out within my own strength. This is something that is so other, so different than the world, so difficult. It must be symbolic of who Jesus is in your life, that he's calling you to do this. And it must be that you're following and he's doing that in your heart. Sometimes we think it's good enough just to not be inflicting our own will on our enemies. We think it's just good enough to resist, you know, our words and be like, man, I didn't say anything. Man, I just, you know, I just ignored them or, or, or whatever. Or, man, I could have. Man, I could have done all this stuff. And we think we're in a pretty good spot because of all the things we didn't say or do. <laughs> Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It's not the absence of bad of where I want you to be. It's the presence of good in giving that to them. That's where I want my followers to be. It's not good enough that we just restrained ourselves. 
That's not the place of doing good and giving to them. Look at verses 32 through 34. I love repetition in scripture. You can see repetition all up in this here. It says, with the word love. Check it out, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. Here's the thing. It's like, what sets us apart? Followers of Jesus. It should look so different. If all you're doing is loving the people who've loved you and given to you well, and, and, and it, it's like, well, yeah, that's like a given. Enjoy that gift to love those people who you're not opposed to. But what this is saying is like, of course you would love there. That, that's why anyone can do that. Is the gospel powerful enough in our life? Us being reconciled as enemies to Christ, being reconciled to him, is that powerful enough to change us enough to be people who are actively looking to do good into those lives who are opposed to us? Church, tell me about who you're opposed to. Don't audibly tell me right now. That'd be awkward. You probably can think of examples outside these walls, but here's what I want to do for like two and a half minutes. I want us to think for a second within these walls because the reality is, is anyone should be able to come in through these doors and they should be able to taste this love in a way that they could never taste outside of these walls because I'm looking at a room full of followers, right? Tell me, church, about those you're opposed to. Show me that you hear these words. Show me your love. Show me the way that you chase down to do good for those you feel opposed to or you feel are opposed to you. Show me how you give to them that which they have not sowed in your life. I talked back in August <coughs> about us as a church and some of where we are at. There's all sorts of ways that we looked at these days ahead and what it meant to move forward in the days ahead. And I was very open about some of the things that troubled me and troubled a lot of us as we look forward. There's a lot of those things that we talked about. But one of the things that we talked about was some of the opposition. People who see the past decisions differently, people who have been slandered, people who have been let down, people who have lost trust, people who have been hurt, people who have been abused. There's opposition here that makes sense. Some of these last five months, I've been sitting in it and in these conversations, and, and the natural response is to separate to be cold or retaliate or to strike back. But hear me today, I want all of us to have hope because the Jesus who calls us to follow 
calls all of us to love and do good in the lives of those that we're opposed to or who are opposed to us, which means we're all on the same page. At least we should be. Today, Jesus says to those who hear, to those who are opposed, to those who've seen issues differently, to those who have been wronged by each other, to love, to do good, to bless, and to pray. And you find a body who's doing that, and I promise you, you will find a body who's able to love each other, not in a superficial way, not in a grimace through this way, not in a on my own strength way, but in a supernatural, only God could do this miracle kind of way in our hearts and in our lives. There's opposite that makes sense as I've listened to it and talked through all these things. And honestly, I look at it at points, and, and some of you have heard me say that, I'm like, it's impossible. It's not impossible because of who Jesus is and who he's called us to be and the gospel in which we've received. Maybe today you hear these words. Maybe you don't think of opposition within these walls. Maybe you think about it on Facebook and the people you keep battling. Maybe it's uh, still people from COVID times that you saw stuff differently. And man, it's just never been the same ever since. Maybe it's political opposition. Maybe it's your neighbor who lets his dog use your front yard as a toilet. I don't know what that opposition you feel today. But the call, the verbs in this, the words of Jesus, love, do good, bless, pray. Look at verse 35. Sort of a recap. You're going to feel the recap. You're going to feel the summation here. He says this, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. You see the recap, love, do good. We already talked about those words and what it means and what his standard is for that. But we get something else here in this. We get a description of the father. It says he's kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Jesus points to why we do this. We have a reward and it shows that we belong to the Father as we treat other people, how he's treated us. As what we've received, we get the joy and honor and privilege to pass along to other people. Brings up kindness here. The word kindness, if you're to dig into that, has tones and undercurrents of grace and graciousness, which means the kindness that you bestow, fruit of the Spirit, brought out in this passage, the kindness are things that those people don't necessarily deserve. That's when you step into the realm of kindness, is when you're offering grace and graciousness and goodness to people in a way that they haven't deserved. Their actions, their opposition, their hostility, maybe their hatred has not warranted that from you. But we do it. Why? That's who our father is. Verse 36, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Again, our standard is the father. Mercy is a beautiful word. It's someone who's helpless and hopeless, man. They can't do anything. They can't bring about any other response. 
And the person who has power over them relents judgment, relents inflicting pain on them. I've talked about this with students before. You know, you play that game, Mercy. That game is terrible. Maybe it's because I just always lost. You know, and someone is squirming in pain, and they're like, what do they yell? What do they yell? Mercy, mercy, mercy. And you relent. Be merciful. You might have every reason to keep inflicting the pain, but that's not the follower of Jesus. They look to do good. They turn the other cheek. They offer their tunic. They say, yeah, I'll relent. Let me show you kindness. Let me show you love. Listen, this is a full reset. This is a totally other way. If you're following Jesus, it's a totally other way that we approach people, that we approach love. And we do it all according to the way that Jesus calls his followers to do it. Who are you opposed to? Have you let the Father do the supernatural miracle work of a follower to change your desires towards the response that he's called you to? Do you hear? And show me with your love. Let me pray. God, you've given us these words. <clears throat> God, I just want to give your spirit a moment right now to convict us, to show us what good looks like. God, through your spirit, speak to us now. I just want to give you a moment for that. You're worth it, Jesus. We sing that to you now. You're worthy of all of our worship, all of our life to build on you and who you've called us to be. May you be honored and glorified in that. In Jesus' name, amen.